put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. And that's God's word for us this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we are so thankful for the opportunity to be here today. We're thankful for the opportunity to, to celebrate the birth of Jesus and to come to a deeper understanding of exactly all that that means. And so, God, we are just praying right now that you would meet us here now. God, you know exactly where we've been. God, you know the disappointments that we've experienced in our own lives. And God, as we look at the disappointment that Joseph would have had, God, I pray that you would speak through this. God, I pray that you would comfort us, that you would reach out to us, that, God, we would feel your presence wrapped around us. God, I pray that as we, we open up your word, God, I pray that we would realize we're not hearing just from a pastor spouting his opinions, but God, this is your word going out to us today. God, I pray that you would help us to understand, that you would give us ears to hear, that our heart would be open to receive what you have for us today. So God, we love you and we praise you and we ask this in your holy name. Amen. So again, as we look at this text, it really, it starts out with this, this, this anticipation and this excitement. I mean, you got to picture yourself in Joseph's shoes. Verse 18 started and said, now the birth of Jesus took this place this way. When Mary, his mother, Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. So this is a season of excitement. Mary and Joseph, they are betrothed, which means they are engaged. Hebrew marriages usually had two stages. The first stage was the engagement or what's called the betrothal. Uh, legally, during this stage, the couple was married, but they weren't yet living together. Uh, they would not have consummated the relationship physically. Really, what this engagement was for was, was an opportunity for the couple to spend time together and get to know each other and begin to learn how to love each other. That sounds kind of weird because we think of engagement being, oh, I fell in love with somebody. And so that's why we're engaged. But this is a completely different thing. They had to learn how to love each other. See, it's not a matter of just falling in love. Love is a choice. Love is a decision. Love is a commitment. And so this engagement, this season of betrothal, would have lasted normally around 12 months. And it was a time to test the fidelity and test the integrity of the couple. And in order to break an engagement, it wasn't just calling it off like we would do in our day. In order to break an engagement, it actually was a divorce. You had to go through the process of a divorce. And the second stage of a Hebrew marriage was uh, the Nisan, or really the actual marriage ceremony itself. They would have been married, and Joseph would carry his bride into his home, and then they would enjoy all of the benefits of marriage. We won't go any further with that. And so this, this, this engagement period would have been a time of excitement for both Joseph and Mary. Joseph would have been preparing his, his drawing up his house plans and trying to figure out, getting everything ready to have his wife come and move in with him. And Mary, man, just like all these other women, she would have been planning her wedding, picturing all the wonderful things that she's going to do for the wedding. And then they would have been looking forward to marriage and looking forward to consummating their, their marriage together. 
And it's during this time, it's during this time of this engagement period that Mary goes off and spends a little bit of time with her cousin. And she comes home and she drops the bomb on Joseph. Continuing, looking back at verse 18, I said, when Mary, his mother, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, here's the bomb. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that conversation for Joseph? Hey, Joe, Joe, baby, I'm, I'm, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. And Joe, Joe knows, hey, we haven't been together intimately. So, so despite the, the, the reason that Mary says, do you think Joseph would have believed her? I mean, no. Can you imagine the disappointment that would have come over Joseph at this moment? I mean, imagine the pain. Imagine the anger. Imagine the confusion. I mean, everything that Joseph had planned for. All the dreams he had of building a home and a family with Mary. All of his dreams about the future. This would have been a devastating disappointment to Joseph. It would have just been heartbreaking for him. His fiance, the woman he wants to spend his life with. She's pregnant. And he knows it's not his. You might not be able to picture yourself in Joseph's shoes. But most of us can resonate with this idea of this disappointment that Joseph would have been experiencing here. I mean, we, we do this. We, we make our plans for the future. We set things up for the way that we want them to be. And, and we have all these plans for the way things are going to work out. And then something happens. Some event happens. Something falls apart. We begin to see our hopes and our dreams begin to fall down around us. And when it happens, it breaks our hearts because this isn't what we expected. And oftentimes it certainly isn't what we even wanted, but we have this disappointment. I mean, even, even as we look at the Christmas season, we think about the Christmas season around us. And sometimes we do all the work to make Christmas so special, to make Christmas so memorable. And then something happens. Some event happens and Christmas becomes a disappointment for whatever reason. Maybe, maybe you had this idea that your spouse was going to get you this wonderful gift or, 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 I think about, I think about my family growing up. I think about one of our disappointments as we were growing up. My, my dad would always work a second job during Christmas time because he always wanted to make sure us kids had something growing up. And so dad would work uh, hard. And then in 1992, my dad had a heart attack in August and he died. And my mom hadn't been working. And so as she looked at all the plans that they had put together, this is what they wanted their Christmas to look like every year. She came into this Christmas and said, I have nothing. I have nothing to offer the kids. And I, and I can just picture the disappointment that my mom would have felt as she went in through that Christmas season. I don't, I don't remember that Christmas as being negative, negative. I remember my mom did everything she could. But for her, that was a disappointment because she knew she had all these dreams of what Christmas was going to be. And because of, of dad passing away, because her finding, having a hard time finding, job, finding work, Christmas wasn't what she anticipated. It wasn't what she wanted. It wasn't what she had planned for. And so the question here in our text for Joseph, and the, really the question is for all of us, is how do we really respond to disappointment? Would we have the disappointments in our life? Because if you don't have disappointment in your life, let's talk after service. Because I'd love to live life like you. Because I don't think that is the norm. I think most of us would look and say, man, we've got disappointments sometimes all the time. Sometimes that's all we feel we get. But disappointments are life. They're part of life. And so we've titled today's message, Finding God in Our Disappointments. Because honestly, 
One of the best ways to determine a, person, a person's character. One of the best ways to determine who a person is and determine what their faith is like is to look at how they respond to disappointment. You look at somebody, how they respond to disappointment, and you begin to see what kind of person they really are. Joseph, when you look in the Bible, we don't learn a lot about who Joseph is. Matthew doesn't spend a lot of time describing Joseph because really Joseph is not the main character of the Bible. The Bible is all about Jesus. And so Jesus is going to be the one that Matthew spends most of his time on in the book of Matthew. So it's, it's important for us to take this opportunity and look and begin to see some of the characteristics that make Joseph the man who he was. I mean, Joseph, we see he's experienced this great disappointment. His fiance is pregnant and it's not his baby. And so the question is, how does he respond to this disappointment? And really, he's got three options. Legally, Joseph has three options. The first option is he could publicly humiliate Mary because what he perceives as her being her immorality. And this could potentially lead to her being stoned to death. This could lead to her death. He had every right to do that. The second option was he could divorce her quietly and just walk away from her, leaving her to raise her child in shame and in poverty. Or the third option would be he could marry her and he could raise the child as if it was his own. This last option would have been rarely, rarely ever done by a Jewish man. It was something that they just, they would not put themselves, subject themselves to that. And so what we're going to see is we look at the rest of this text, we're going to see that jo- Joseph is going to teach us four simple ways on how we can find God amongst our disappointments. The first thing that we're going to see, the first thing that Joseph's going to teach us is that he chooses to be righteous, not just right. He chooses to be righteous, not just right. Look at verse 19. Matthew writes and he says, And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. See, we're told that Joseph was a just man. This simply means that he was blameless under the law of God, and that he walked in faith with the Lord. He was a man of God. He was known as being a man of God before this circumstance ever happened. And so Joseph's decision is to respond uh, and react towards Mary with compassion. I mean, I mean, you got to picture this would not have been an easy decision for him to make. But it was a decision that reflected the best interests for what would be for Mary. Instead of making a public example out of Mary, instead of going to the judges and saying, do you know what my fiance has done? She has hurt me. I mean, that would have brought her death. Joseph decides to deal with her in a quiet manner. Even though she has been unfaithful to him, even though, even though this has happened, he still loves her. And he still wants to do the right thing by her. Now, again, I mean, we don't know a ton about Joseph and about his character and the kind of person he was. But this does speak very highly to the kind of man that Joseph was. And like we said, how somebody responds to disappointment often defines what their character is like and the depth of their faith in God. And so, and so let me ask you this. Let me, let me ask you this. How many of us become consumed with getting even with somebody who's wronged us? I mean, we can be honest here. I mean, how many of us would be in that same situation and, and somebody has hurt us deeply? Somebody has offended us. Somebody has given us the wrong end. And how many of us begin to be consumed with, man, I want to pay them back. They've hurt me. I want them to hurt just as bad as I did, if not more. I want them to suffer for what they've had to put me through. I mean, how many of us would be honest and say, yeah, those are the kind of feelings that we think through. Those are the thoughts that come to our mind. 
We do this. We want to get even. We want them to feel the same, uh, if not more, pain and anguish that we have felt. And so even here, Joseph, he had every right to publicly dismiss his wife. He had every right to go to the judges and say, this is what she's done. She's pregnant and it's not my child. I mean, he had every right to do this. But you know, there's a difference between being right and being righteous. There is a huge difference between being right and being righteous. Being right, being right, it's all about justifying ourselves. It's all about trying to save our reputation, trying to make ourselves feel better for the circumstances we're in. It's all, it's all about doing what makes sense, about making, us, making ourselves feel better. But choosing to be righteous, it's completely different. Choosing to be righteous, it's all about grace. It's all about compassion. It's all about glorifying God. It's about doing what God would do and letting God worry about justifying us and about saving our reputation. Being righteous is, is, is not about doing what makes you feel better. It's not about doing, giving the other person what they deserve. Rather, it's about loving people the way that Jesus loves us. It's about having compassion to people even when they don't deserve it. Just like us. Like God extending us grace and mercy and compassion when we don't deserve it. In fact, later in the book of Matthew, there's an example of this exact thing of choosing to be righteous rather than right. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable of, of a king and the king is getting ready to settle the debts with the people who owe him money. And so one of his servants comes forward and, and finds out, the king finds out, this guy owes him 10,000 talents. This would have been the equivalent of several million dollars, like millions and millions of dollars. And so the king brings a servant and says, hey, you owe me this money. You need to pay. And the servant pleads and says, man, I don't have any money. I I can't pay you back. Now, legally, this king had every right to throw this man in prison. This king had every right to take his wives and his kids and to sell them off as slaves and to take everything this servant owned and sell it off until that debt was paid. That was his right. He had every right to do that. But the servant pleads with the king and says, King, please have compassion on me. And so the king chooses to be righteous instead of right. He chooses, he chooses to forgive the debt and he sets the man free. I mean, this is truly a picture of being righteous. And this is how God views every one of us. We have this huge debt. Millions and millions and millions of dollars of debt to God because of our sin. Sin is all the things that we do in rebellion to God. Sin is every time we put ourselves ahead of God. That's what our sin is. And we are like this servant. We've amassed this huge debt to God that we will never, ever be able to pay. And God chooses. It's his right to judge us. It's his right to punish us. God chooses. God chooses to love us. God chooses to extend mercy and compassion to every one of us. And so... In Jesus' parable, the servant who has been given so much grace and so much mercy, he goes back to his house and he finds he's got a fellow servant who owes him a hundred denarii, which is really like, like 75 bucks. It's not very much at all. And so that servant goes to his fellow servant and says, hey, you need to pay up. The fellow servant says, man, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have any money right now. I don't have any money right now. And so that first servant says, fine, then here's what's going to do. I'm going to have you thrown into jail until you can pay back what you owe me. The king hears what, what this first servant did. And he calls him out. 
and says in verse 20, 32 and 33 of Matthew 18, he says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? This king says, man, man, you've been given so much grace and so much mercy, millions and millions and millions of dollars forgiven, and yet you will demand your rights from this man? You'll demand a stinking 75 bucks when I've given you so much grace and so much compassion and so much forgiveness? So the king, the king sends this servant into jail until he can pay that back. And so really the question for us is when things don't go right, when things begin to fall apart, and they're bound to. If you haven't experienced disappointment, let me tell you, it will happen because it's a part of life. When things fall apart, when we experience disappointment, the question is, are we going to be more concerned about being right and justifying ourselves? Or are we going to be like Joseph? A man who says, you know, I have every right to publicly humiliate this woman, but I'm going to choose here to be righteous. I'm going to choose here to give grace and compassion. I'm still going to deal with it. I'm not going to just lull it over and pretend it never happened. I'm going to deal with it, but I'm going to deal with it out of righteousness and of grace and out of compassion instead of making myself feel better and justifying myself. When we are faced with this type of thing, do we respond with being right or do we respond with righteousness? See, I think I think for some of us in here today, I think this is exactly what God wants us to hear. I think this is God's word for some of us in here today. We are so concerned about being right, about being justified in how we treat those who have hurt us, who have wronged us. I mean, it's our right. They've hurt us deeply. I've got to do something to make myself feel better. I've got to do something so they know how bad they hurt me. I've got to, I've got to get back at them. I mean, even those of us who are Christians... We have this same attitude. It's all about justifying ourselves. It's all about trying to save our own reputation. It's all about us trying to make things right in our own mind. But look here. Look here. Every one of us. We have done more harm and more damage to God. We have rebelled against him time and time and time again. And yet he continues to choose to be righteous, to extend us grace and mercy and forgiveness. And how many of us want to continue to receive that righteousness and that forgiveness from God? I mean, most of us would raise our hand and say, yes, I want to continually receive that benefit from God. I want God's grace to cover what I've done. Yet, how many times does somebody wrong us and we want to just jump all over them? We want to make them suffer. We want to, we want to make them suffer for what they've made us go through. See, even the person who has wronged you the most, that pales in comparison with how you and I have rebelled against God time and time and time again. And since God has extended to us this unearned grace, this unearned mercy, shouldn't we extend that same grace and mercy and love to the people around us, to the people that wrong us? So Joseph, he chooses to be righteous Rather than being right. He decides to divorce Mary quietly. Look at verse 20. He continues and he says, But as he considered these things. See, this shows a little bit. Let's stop right there. This shows a little bit more about Joseph. Sometimes, sometimes when we experience a disappointment, sometimes when things happen in life, we jump off the deep end. 
and we react really without thinking through things. It's kind of like a knee-jerk reaction. We begin to respond out of our emotion and out of our hurt. But Matthew, he, he pauses a little bit. He takes a moment. He's in control of himself. And he takes some time to think through to make sure he's making the right decision. So it says he considered his decision. And verse 20 continues and says, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, the second thing that we're going to learn from Joseph and finding God in our disappointments is we have to have the proper perspective. We have to have the proper perspective. Now, it's interesting when you compare these two stories in Luke chapter 1 of, of, uh, of Luke telling the story from Mary's perspective and here in Matthew chapter 1 uh, telling the story from Joseph's perspective. In Luke chapter 1, the angel comes to Mary before she's ever pregnant. The angel comes to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and says, in verse 28, it says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And then the angel says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. See, that angel showed up before Mary was pregnant. He said, Mary, here's what's going to happen. Don't be surprised. You're going to be pregnant. But it's okay because it's God's doing. But Matthew, he's not awarded that forewarning. Matthew goes through this thing of finding out his wife's pregnant. And then after this happens is when the angel comes and says, hey, man, here's what's happening. I mean, up to this point, Joseph had no clue what was going on. He's been certain that Mary was unfaithful to him. And he's experienced this devastating disappointment, this heartbreak. And after all of this, after going through all those emotions, then the angel shows up and says, hey, Joseph, here's what's going on. See, this is a lesson that we need to learn. In life, we have this extremely limited view, extremely narrow perspective as to the whole, school, whole scope of the story. We don't know the whole story. We know what is happening right before us. But Joseph, in this example, he doesn't know the whole story. He just knows his wife has come and said, hey, Joe, I'm pregnant. See, it's, it's like this. Life is kind of like we're watching a parade. There's a parade going on, but we've got these two tall buildings beside of us. And all we can see in the parade is what is right in front of us. This is all we can see. Now, we may have a little bit of memory and can remember what's gone on before, but we have no clue what's coming ahead in the parade. Now, if there's a way for us to get on top of these buildings, we can look down, we can see the whole story, and we can see the beginning, the middle, and the end. But that's not the way life works. Life works where we see only what is right before us. God, however, he's above it all. He's above it all. He can see the beginning, the middle, and the end. He knows the whole story. This bitter and this devastating disappointment that Joseph just experienced, God knows the whole picture. He has a plan behind it. A plan that Matthew says clearly in verse 21 was to provide salvation for the people, to save the people from their sins. See, Joseph needed a proper perspective he needed to see that this, is, this disappointment is just a little part of his life. He needs to see there's more to this story than just what is happening right before your eyes. This isn't the end of the story. I mean, I, I remember in high school, in high school there was a guy that we went to high school with, and he was a cool guy. He was on the football team. He was uh, popular, athletic, you know, cool guy. 
And I remember this happened where, where he had this girlfriend, and the girlfriend broke up with him. And he was so devastated by it. He was so devastated by it. I remember seeing him on a Friday, and he's just like, man, this, you know, I don't even know what to do. And school started up the next week, and we didn't see him for three or four days. Like, man, that's really weird, you know? He started getting worried about this guy. They ended up finding his truck at the rest area outside of Sela on I-82, four, five, six days later. And they found his body at the bottom of the Fred G. Redmond Bridge off of I-82. See, his limited perspective was, man, this hurts. This sucks. My life is over. He couldn't see the whole story. He didn't realize this is just a small part of the story. There's so much more to happen. God has so much to do in your life. This is just one little disappointment. There's so much more that God can do. This is not the end of the story. But his limited perspective, he didn't have the proper perspective. And this was all he could see was right before him. He couldn't think about, man, there's something else that God is preparing for me beyond this. I know disappointment can be hard. I know it hurts. And I know that we wonder if life can get any better, if this disappointment will ever go away. But look, the best thing that we can do is trust that God knows what he is doing. This is not the end of the story. Having a proper perspective helps us to understand there's more to it that I don't see, that God is going to work out, that God is, is moving and God is active. We're seeing this limited perspective. We've got to have the proper perspective that God is still working, that God is still active. The best thing that we can do is to trust that God knows what he's doing. That God is sovereign, that God is in control. That there is nothing that happens in our life that is a surprise to God. We need to trust that, our, that God, our Father, is still in control. And that he will take care of his children. Despite what you and I think sometimes, God still knows what is best for us. So the angel comes and tells Joseph, hey man, this is what's going on. Mary, she has been faithful to you. This is God's doing. Angel continues in verse 21. It says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This was back in Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the angel comes and says, Joseph, all of this is happening so that God can fulfill the promise that God had made when sin first entered the world. All the way back in the Garden of Eden. That one day God would defeat sin. That God would defeat death. That God would defeat hell. That God would defeat Satan altogether. So this baby, this baby that's going to be born, Joseph, this baby is the fulfillment of that promise. This baby is the fulfillment of all those prophecies of the Old Testament. This baby is, is the fulfillment of all of the types of, 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 of Christ in the Old Testament. This, this baby is the one who will, uh, not, not, it's not just a man, but he is more than just a man. He is God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. This angel allows Joseph to see that his hurt, his anger, his pain, his confusion was necessary to bring about the greatest miracle that the world has ever known. That God became flesh and entered into this world to die as a man for our sins. This teaches us that third important lesson about finding God in our disappointments. Is that we need to understand that God is in control of everything. God is in control of everything. 
Psalms 107 paints this picture very clearly. That God is in control of everything in our lives. Both the blessings and the hardships and everything in between. God is in control of every circumstance. Romans 8.28 clearly says, And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't matter how big or small the disappointments in our life are. Even when things seem bleak and and, and hopeless from our perspective, God is working out his perfect plan in our lives. Nothing happens that God isn't in control of. Nothing happens that is a surprise to God. I mean, I said this last week. God is never left twiddling his thumb saying, man, I don't know what to do now. This has wrecked my plan. I I just know what to do. I mean, I mean, when things are falling apart, God doesn't go to the bench and call Johnny Manziel and put him in. God is always in control of things. Therefore, since God is in control of all things, let us walk confidently with our hand held safely in God's grasp. That even though we cannot see the way, and even though we can't understand the why, God will bring us to the place where one day it will all make sense. One day we will see the whole story, and we'll see, hey, what God was doing was to fulfill his perfect plan. Not my plan, but God's perfect plan. Someday we'll come to the understanding that it's not our plan, but it's God's plan. And God was working all things out according to his plan. I mean, from where you and I stand right now, we cannot see what God has placed in our future. You might be facing some puzzling events in your life. You might be having some hardship. You might be going through some struggles. But I do know that down the road, in a place and at a time that we we have not yet arrived, all of your questions and all of your needs will be met. Because this is how God works. This is how God works. Our duty then is to trust God by faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. We couldn't put our faith in God if we knew how everything worked out. And so when we face those disappointments, it's an opportunity for us to put our faith in God and trust that he knows what he's doing, that he's working out his plan and our lives. And somehow, some way, it includes this little blurb, includes this little disappointment, because it's all a part of God's grand plan that we don't quite understand at this point. But someday we will. Someday we will see how this fits into what God was doing. And so we walk humbly by faith, knowing that even though today, Even though today we might be struggling, we know that God has already gone into our tomorrow or our next week or our next year. And God has arranged our path. God has supplied our need. God has eased our burden. Even though today is hard, God is working on our tomorrow. So the angel tells Joseph what's up. And the question is, how does Joseph respond to what the angel says? Read the last two verses with me in verses 24 and 25. It says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. The last thing we learn from Joseph about finding God in our disappointments is that we have to respond to disappointments with faith in God. We have to respond with faith in God. 
As soon as Joseph begins to understand what is happening in his life, as soon as he understands God's working his plan out, he reacts in faith. He goes and he takes Mary into his home and into his heart as his wife. He responds in faith. He doesn't know how things are going to work out. He doesn't know for sure that things are going to be just as God said. But he knows that God is working. And that is enough for Joseph. I mean, can you imagine being in Joseph's town? Being in Joseph's family? Can you imagine the scandal that would have caused in their community? The gossip that would have happened because Joseph went and took this pregnant woman as his wife? Can you imagine the gossip? People wondering, is that really his, uh, his kid? Did they, could they not wait until their wedding night? I mean, all the gossip, all the rumors, all the things that people would have talked about. Because isn't that what people do? By taking Mary as his wife when she was pregnant, Joseph was willing to bear the shame of Mary's pregnancy. Because he knew it was the, the work of God. He was acting on his faith. Faith isn't just this mental thing. Faith requires action. And he was putting his faith to work. And you know what happens when we put our faith in God and we actually act on it? This is what happens when you actually put faith in God. Is we begin to stop thinking about what everybody else will say. You begin to stop thinking about all the other, all the other things that people will say about you. We, isn't this what happens when we put our faith in God is we become more concerned about pleasing an audience of one than about what everybody else is going to say. I mean, Joseph, by taking Mary as his wife, man, there would have been all sorts of accusations about what's going on. There would have been all sorts of things that people would have said, and there would have been shame that would have come upon him. But when you put your faith in God, you stop listening to everybody else because you're looking to please God and God alone. It's not about going to to comply with what everybody else expects of you. It's about pleasing God and saying, God, I'm going to put my faith in you, and I'm going to do what you want me to do because, God, I know that you are working in my life. And this is what it requires. It requires that we actually put our faith in God and we stop listening to the voices of everyone else and say, God, I'm going to put my faith in you and I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of this for me. Verse 25 also shows a response of faith. Joseph takes Mary as his wife, takes, him into a, takes her into his home, but it said that he refrains from having sexual relations with her. He respects the plan of God enough and knows that Mary is supposed to be a virgin when Jesus is born. So Joseph places complete faith in God. And instead of demanding what was rightfully his as her husband, he willingly lays aside his rights so that the will of God might be accomplished. You know what's really cool about this story? What's really cool about the story, both the story in Luke and the story in Matthew here that we just read, is, is Mary and Joseph, they face a little bit of disappointment. They face some hardships. But you know, they're not defined by that disappointment. They're not defined by the hardship. He, they're not defined by their disappointment. They're defined by faith. They're defined by obedience and humility and loving grace through a loving God that exhibited God's perfect plan. That's what we know about Joseph. Not that he suffered a disappointment, but that he found God in his disappointment. And that God used that disappointment to bring about the Savior of the world. The Savior of mankind. The only one who can forgive sins. So what's this all about today? I'll tell you what it's all about. 
It's about finding God in the disappointments of our life. It's about faith in God, that, that faith in that God is real, the faith that God is working in our lives, faith that God is sovereign and in control, even in the hard times, that God is there, that God has a perfect plan, that nothing that we have done is outside of what God has planned for our lives and that God will use it for his perfect plan. Some of us, some of us, we need the challenge today to stop being concerned about being right and choose to be righteous. The relationships around us, we need to choose to be righteous and stop being concerned about being right, stop being concerned about justifying ourselves. We need to choose to love as Jesus loved and let God worry about our reputation. Some of us need to be challenged and and surrender today and say, God, I'm sorry that I've been concerned about being right. God, today I choose to be righteous. Some of us, we need to be reminded that we need to have the proper perspective. That there's so much to the story of our lives that what we are experiencing right now is just a small moment. What we see right now is just that little bit of the story in between these two buildings. That God has so much more ahead of us and so much more that's happening that that we need to have the proper perspective. That this is not the end. That God is still working. That God is still active. Some of us need to be reminded today that God is in control of everything. That he is working out his perfect plan. Even though we don't see it, even though we don't understand it, God has a plan in each of our lives. And if we surrender to him, he will continue to bring about until perfection. Until what God has planned for each and every one of us. And finally, some of us need to be challenged to put our faith in God and actually act on that faith. We need to put our faith into action and no longer be motivated by the opinions of others. No no longer be motivated by what everybody else will say, what everybody else will think about us. We need to say, God, I'm going to put my faith in you wholeheartedly. And I'm going to live for an audience of one. And I'm going to say, God, I don't care what they say. I'm going to do what you want to do. I'm going to do and trust that God is alive and that God is working things out in our lives. That's what we learn from Joseph, about finding God in our disappointments. Would you pray with me? God, we are so thankful for the Christmas story. And even as we look at it from a different perspective this year, about trying to see and find you through the unexpected, because God, the Christmas story is all about the unexpected. Nobody would picture to find Jesus laying in a manger. Nobody would picture to find Jesus in the family history of, uh, uh, of Jesus. Nobody would picture to find God through a disappointment. But God, these are the ways that you show up. God, you show up in our disappointment. God, you have a plan and a purpose behind everything. God, I pray for all of us in here today that as we look at the disappointments in our lives, even as we look at a season that for some of us is so joyous and, and fun and joy-filled, that God... Some of us, this is a disappointing season. This is a hard season. This is a trying season. God, I pray that you would meet us in that moment. You would meet us in that hardship. That we would see that, God, you are alive. That, God, you are living. That, God, you are active. That, God, you are working in our lives. That, God, there's nothing that happens in our life that you say, man, I don't know what to do now. 
God, I pray that we would have that kind of faith in you, that we would trust that you are working things out for your glory, and that, God, we need to surrender ourselves to you and say, God, not my will, but yours. God, I pray for those in here today who are dealing with disappointments. God, I pray that you would wrap your arms around them. I pray that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would extend your grace and your love to them. That, God, even though they're going through this, God, you are not gone, that you are still there. Today, I pray that you would meet them exactly where they are, that you would fill them with your spirit, that they would know that there's nothing that's ever happened that has separated us from your love. God, I pray that as a church, that we'd be a people that are concerned not about being right, but we're concerned about being righteous, about loving the way that you love, and, and, and God, that you would work out the details, that you would work out the reputation, that you would work out the pain and the hurt, because God, really, you're better at it than us anyways. God, I pray as we head into the next couple of songs, God, I pray that you would help us to put the distractions out of our mind. That we take this time to pray. Say, God, I need you here and now. God, I'm sorry for the ways I've screwed up. God, I'm sorry for the times that I've walked away from you. But God, today would you, would you comfort me? God, today would you meet me here? We love you and we praise you and we ask this in your holy name. Amen.